You have to learn what it means to actually manage, mentor, lead, coach, provide for your team, because you're going to need to apply those skills to find the people who will lead and manage, to coach them, and to make sure that they're doing it in a way that aligns with your vision. You're listening to the Visionary CEO Podcast, a series for entrepreneurs who want to escape the day-to-day grind while scaling their business to seven figures and beyond. And now, your hosts, Brianne Dick and Jill Giovanazzo. Hello and good afternoon, good day, good morning. Good morning, depending on where. Can we say good good afternoon, depending on? Good afternoon. Indeed. Anyway, hello and welcome to another episode of the Visionary CEO Podcast. I am Jill Giovanazzo, and with me, as per usual, is my co-host and partner in the business, Brianne Dick. Partner in the business. Have I been downgraded? I'm just the partner in the business now. Co-founder, partner in business and life. There we go. I didn't like at this point. I'm hoping most everyone knows who you are in general, not just to me. You never know. This might be the first time. That someone that's true this might be the first time that someone's listening to the podcast in which case it's very special welcome to you and we're very excited that you are here whether this is your first episode or this is your 30th episode because this is episode 10 of season Mm -hmm. three three which i i think it's just ridiculous i don't know how we got to 2021 i don't know how we got to season three i don't know how any of this happened and yet here we are i don't even want to know i don't know how want to know how we got to december already (laughs) yeah it's uh it's been quite a ride and and it's so fun to think about you know i always love at the end of the season to kind of look back at you know what we talked about over the last nine episodes and this was the season that we i think we jokingly said in in season one we can't call it mythbusters But if we could, we would, because that's really what we wanted to do this season was to debunk a bunch of different myths. We talked about the myth that you can't scale a personal brand. We talked about this myth that you, you know, need to just constantly be putting out content in order to scale your business. Things like if I have a bigger team, then I'm going to have bigger problems that I have to have SOPs before I have anyone or even just in general, I have to have SOPs to run everything. Yeah. And I think my favorite is still the the faster if I do it myself. Yeah. Yeah. It will just be faster if I do it myself. And, and that actually ties in nicely, I think, to where I really want to take this episode. And you know, I want to talk a little bit about the season in general and talk about some of these myths. But as we've been recording these episodes, what's come up for me is that underneath all of these myths, there's like uh, an underlying belief, right? There's this narrative and this story that we tell ourselves, which is that I am not the type of person who does this thing. I don't want to do this type of thing. It's not natural for me to do this type of thing. I'm a creative. I'm a visionary. I'm a whatever. And so I love everything you all are talking about on the podcast, Brianne and Jill, but I don't think it applies to me. I just need to go hire someone who can do all of this stuff for me. They can listen to the podcast and then they'll do it all. Yeah, <laughs> I hear that a lot. Well, and, and uh, you know, your tone of voice is not just because we hear that a lot, but because we might have maybe had that experience ourselves a little bit, maybe. Yeah, maybe. Maybe just kind of, sort of, but you know, (laughs) go figure. We're going to have that experience ourselves because we're going through the same things that you all are. And that's part of why we do what we do because that's 
that's part of our vision, our values, our mission is to turn around and provide you with the same impacts that we're able to give. And I, I think that's what's so interesting about all of these conversations is it's one thing to talk about them in the abstract, but it's another thing to actually go through it and live it. And so I would love to just start off this conversation, Jill, by exploring a little bit We've talked in the past, like way back in season one, second episode, we talked about how we got to be in the business and where the business started and all of that sort of thing. But one thing we haven't really talked about much was the the period of time in the business where I went into full, I'm a visionary, therefore I don't need to know all of this stuff. I'm just going to pass off the function of the business to you and you can do it all. You can take it all over because that was the dream, right? That's what everyone out there who's heard of rocket fuel, who's heard of visionaries and integrators, that's what everyone seems to want is I don't want to learn how to do that stuff myself. I just want you to manage my team and manage my projects and just tell me what to do and I'll do my part, but you run the business. It's so interesting when, when that happens, because for us, I remember, I think we've gone through this in two phases honestly, because of how we structured the business and with the two of us being co-founders and partners in business and in life. But I remember back when we did this first iteration, when I was first really coming in and taking things over, and you had that, as you put it, that visionary time frame that was just, you were just trying to hand me everything. Mm -hmm. And what was so fascinating for me at the time was it was almost the other swing of the pendulum. I don't know. We talked a little bit more about the pendulum swinging from one extreme to the other. The, I mentioned the faster, the myth about faster if I do it myself. And it was almost like you took it and swung it entirely the way and said, I just, I'm just going to put everything on yeah. you. Yeah, I'm just going to wash my hands and of it entirely. I'm going to just, you do your thing. You're fully empowered. I don't need to be involved. You do it. And one of the biggest things I remember at the time, like there's a couple of them, but one of the biggest ones that first comes to mind is just how disconnected I felt Mm -hmm. from you and thereby not only you, but to the culture of the business that we were trying to build at the time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's like we as visionaries often can put ourselves on a pedestal where it's like, I'm a visionary. I don't want to have to learn to manage a team. I don't want to have to write job descriptions. I don't want to have to build a value map. I've heard people say it like, my brain doesn't work that way. Why do I have to do this? I have an operations person. All of these different things that come up and underneath it all is, and I can say this having had this belief myself, is this isn't my job and it's not relevant to the job I want to have. Therefore, I shouldn't be doing it at all, period, like just say no. Yeah, the, and we've talked a lot about your zone of genius and how you really need to hone in on what your zone of genius is and do the things in your zone of genius. But at the same time, the counterpoint to that is that it can't all be right now just you working in your zone of genius. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is, I mean, I think we're gonna be covering up a whole bunch of different myths, you know, sub-myths during this episode because yeah. this is something else that you hear a lot in the industry, right? If you're not loving everything you're doing every minute, if it's not your passion, if it's not what excites you, if it's not whatever, then it's the wrong thing for you to be doing. And you and I have had that conversation recently, Jill. It's like, we want it all to be fun. We want it all to be mm-hmm. enjoyable. And sometimes the process itself and the work itself isn't fun 
but the outcome and the result is and yeah yeah there's a dynamic there that i think is important there's a dynamic there but there's this push pull it's like a tension of how do i get to the result without having to burn myself out hate myself for going through the journey this is where like for me you and i again you and i have had this conversation right the journey is just as important as the destination that you end up at and there i'm going to use one of your favorite words there's a whole lot of mindset stuff around that and a whole lot of coaching that needs to happen Mm -hmm. around that but just in general coming at it from this perspective of having to do things a certain way to get the results we see this quite frequently i remember this with you i've seen it with our clients where we we discuss tools Mm -hmm. and we give them tools on you know how to get a particular result and as you said you know i don't my brain doesn't think that way my brain doesn't think in spreadsheets my brain doesn't think in lists my brain thinks in i'm more of intuitive i'm more visual i'm more graphic focused i work better with colored pens i work better with post-its and it's like we try and hammer ourselves into this one little path mm-hmm. to get to the destination, knowing that the destination is going to be fun, mm-hmm. but feeling like I have to hammer myself through this little tiny hole to get there. Yeah. And totally missing the fact that there are other bigger holes that fit you better. And what I think is so interesting about this, too, is that as you're going through this transition, and again, I'm, I'm thinking about some of our clients and I don't think there's very many clients that enjoy the value map when they're doing it. By the end, most of them are like, I see why we did this. I get why it's important, but it's it's one of those things where it's it's worth it in the end, but in the moment, it's not something that ever, everyone's super thrilled about. But I think what's important about those kinds of examples is also that you're not doing these things just for you. You're doing them Mm -hmm. because you need to be able to externalize what's been going on inside your head. And going back to when you and I were doing this and it was like, I just wanted to be the visionary and I didn't want to have to learn to speak your language. I didn't want to have to learn how to communicate my stuff. It was very easy for me to just say, just figure it out, do it your way, whatever. When in reality, I as a leader have a responsibility for being able to take what I understand and communicate it differently based on whoever's in front of me. And yes, a good integrator, a good team member will be able to ask good questions and help get the information out of your head, but I still have a responsibility to be making myself understandable. Yeah, and that, that's exactly where I was gonna go. And I'm gonna use a phrase here, and I don't mean it in the quite the same powerful, possibly judgmental sense it's gonna come out as, but there's a difference between transitioning ownership, which is what we've talked about, giving ownership of the responsibilities and, you know, the leader defining the result and letting the employee, letting the implementer define the how of getting there. Mm -hmm. There's a difference between transitioning ownership in that way and abdicating ownership. Mm. Because the what you were just describing, what you went through and what I remember going through with you of this, you know, I don't care about the result. I don't care about this. I just, you just handle it. Just go away and handle it. And honestly, to a certain point at one point, I felt I couldn't even come to you with questions. And that was a total for me, looking back on it, this wasn't the word I used then, but it it was, I felt like you abdicated your role as a leader in the business and as a leader in the culture. 
Yeah. And I think it creates a situation where we've seen this in other contexts and, and in fact, you've experienced it in some cases yourself where it's you're you know, onboarding a new team member. We talked about that a couple of episodes ago. And it's like, where is that balance between giving someone so much detail where you're turning them into a helper versus leaving them so much on their own devices that you've abdicated. And as you said, Jill, at that point, they don't even sometimes want to ask questions. They're afraid to take the initiative. They don't want to bother you. We talked with that. Um, I think Jenny talked mm-hmm. about that in season two, right? About this idea of we just don't want to bother the visionary because they're too busy. They've got too many different things going on. And that really brings me to this idea of why do I have to learn to do this? You know, why do I have to learn to onboard an implementer? Why do I have to learn to run a team meeting? I just want a manager to do that stuff for me. And the answer is, it doesn't change when you're a visionary. It's just that when you're a visionary, you have to be communicating with your leaders and you have to be hiring your leaders and onboarding your leaders. And it, communicating with them and, and, communicating and having with them. meetings with them and all of those things. And in a lot of ways, and it's again, this might sound a little interesting coming across, in a lot of ways, it's way better to learn this in a lesser pressure situation when you're hiring on implementers than it is when you're trying to hire on managers and leaders. Right. And I think that when our clients, some of them, they come in to working with us. And even if they've been working with us for a little while, they don't always intuitively get that. And so often they'll express at that point, this feels like homework, right? You're just giving me homework, writing job descriptions and making quarterly plans and all of this stuff, doing the value map. It's like, why do I have to learn to do this stuff? Because in five years, I don't want to be doing this stuff. And I just had a conversation with a client about this a couple days or weeks ago. And it was the reason is that these are transferable skills. And we want to build the skills in one area of the business so that you can grow and evolve those skills as your business grows and evolves. Yeah, exactly. And then layer on top of that, that as you promote yourself in your business and as you move into hiring on managers and hiring on leaders, there's different levels of information that still hasn't been gotten out of your head mm-hmm. that still needs to be gotten out. Yeah. And this has been something that's been interesting happening with you and I lately, right? Because yeah. now we've started to build out our team. We've got not only implementers, but we've got someone who's coming in more in a, of a manager capacity and we're onboarding in that role. And one of the things that has been so interesting for me to see is right now, we have team members at the helper level, at the implementer level, and at the manager level. And what's interesting for me is to see how the underlying skills are the same, but the way that those skills are expressed changes. When you say change, I'm going to I'm going to shift it slightly. Mm-hmm. They level up. Yeah. They gain more depth depending on which direction you want to go in. If you want to go up or you want to go down, right? They they gain more there's there's more nuance to it. Yeah. As you again start to grow further like we're experiencing now, the initial knowledge transfer was from Brianne to myself. And once we got that figured out, that worked well. But now with our next hire, with this kind of part manager, part implementer type individual who's coming in, not only is the knowledge transfer coming from Brianne, but it's also coming from me. And it's also coming from the business because now the business has its own knowledge, its own culture Mm -hmm. that has been built up over time. And so it's not just coming from one point. There's a little bit more complexity to it. Yeah. And what comes to mind as we're talking about this is we talk a lot about 
culture and how there are cultural systems and frameworks, and those stay pretty standard as a business grows, right? You're always going to need a hiring process. You're always going to need a communications rhythm. You're always going to need a way to figure out how much to pay people, right? Those are cultural systems and hiring in general always has the same stages. You have to make sure you know what you're hiring for. You have to write the job ad. You get your candidates. You do some form of interviewing. You select, you offer, you onboard, right? That's Those stages don't change. The, the system doesn't change. But what does change as the business evolves is the practices that you put into place through that system. So are you doing test projects? Or are you doing multi-stage interviews? Well, the answer when you're hiring and you're just hiring implementers all the time will be different than when your business has grown and now you're hiring managers or you're hiring leaders. And that's where, again, the skills are the same. The skills of hiring, of writing a job description, of doing an interview is the same, but the way it's expressed is what changes and evolves as the business changes and evolves. Yeah, exactly. And so if you don't understand it at the quote unquote basic level, when you're first hiring on your first implementers or your first helpers, it makes it that much harder for you to actually implement those transitions, bring on those people, do those things that need doing because you're missing that initial step. You're having to gain much more knowledge, much more experience all at once. And that's where people start to flounder. Yeah. And and I've seen it a few times. I I think it's actually, I know we're talking a lot about the hiring and onboarding and team process here, but I think that's the most relevant example for a lot of folks who are listening because I've seen it happen at each of those thresholds. So someone has been hiring helpers, now they need to hire implementers. And it's a skill level up, right? It's like, okay, I know how to hire at a basic level, but now I need to hire and build a team who's going to take ownership, who's going to figure out the how, who doesn't need me to create SOPs, that sort of thing. But sometimes people actually even figure that out and they're fairly successful at that. And then they hit that ceiling when it's like, now I need to hire a manager, I think, is it middle management? I don't want to end up being bureaucratic. I don't want to be top heavy. I don't want to be corporate. And that's where we start to get into, again, this idea of I'll just hire someone and abdicate to them. And I often see this with folks who are close to the million dollar mark and or just past the million dollar mark. And they're like, I'm just going to hire someone to run my sales and marketing. I'm going to hire a marketing manager and they're going to build out the marketing department and they're going to do all of that. But the question that I have to ask those people is, do you have the skills to lead and hire and hold accountable and set it. Do you have those skills? Have you learned how to translate those skills from managing implementers to being able to manage managers? And it doesn't matter if you're hiring on a chief marketing officer or a chief operations officer or even just an OBM mm-hmm. at that point. The The whole premise is the same. And it's Again, it's this for me, it's this nuance, it's this adding on of, you could think of it as adding on to leadership skills. You could think of it as how do you transition between the various hats that you own. Mm-hmm. And the thing to keep in mind, and I'm going to take this back again to job descriptions, because again, we work on this all the time with our clients, but it's a really great example of how the nuances start to come into play is when you're building for a small team, right? You have one job, 
that has many roles, right? Think back to season one, we talked about the billion dollar team. Yep. At a billion dollars, you need lots and lots of different roles to do very specific things. And at a smaller level, you need less positions that are doing more roles, mm -hmm. less specifically. Yeah. But as you scale up, as you continue to grow, those positions start to break out. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, you start to see what would have been a three-sentence blurb on a one-person team position description becomes a whole paragraph mm -hmm. on a player coach position description. Yeah. Becomes a whole page for just coaching. Yeah. For just a coach. And that's how things layer on and level up because the nuance begins to expand and unfurl. Yeah. And it's like, like you said, you could look at it as it gets, there's more to it because you're leveling up or you can look at it like a fractal, right? The closer you get, the more detail you realize is there. And so as you're saying, what you thought was just a one liner in a job description could end up being a whole page of nuance once you've learned what does it actually mean to lead a business at this level. And that's one of the reasons when we think about our clients, sometimes people will come to us and they're like, I don't really want to learn to manage and that kind of stuff. We could do a whole different conversation about the word management. Especially if they're coming from corporate background, I just want to say. Yeah, it, I hope it's apparent that we don't really like the traditional idea of management and we think there are better ways to do it. But for lack of a better term, you know, that whatever that manager level is, you know, when people come and clients come to us and it's like, I don't want to have to be the manager. Can I just hire a manager and you can train the managers? But at the end of the day, you know, what are you going to put in their job description? How are you going to know if they're doing a good job? How are you going to know if they are leading at the level you want them to lead? And what happens is that people try and hire managers, but because they haven't gained the skill, they end up treating them like implementers. And this was the same thing we see with people who hire implementers and then treat them like helpers and end up with people who are acting like helpers. You end up hiring a manager, treating them like an implementer, and they're just acting like an implementer and you got a really overpaid implementer on your team. That's why you have to learn what it means to actually manage, mentor, lead, coach, provide for your team, even if that's not your long term career to be a manager, because you're going to need to apply those skills to find the people who will lead and manage to coach them, to mentor them and to make sure that they're doing it in a way that aligns with your vision. Exactly. You're not, again, you're not going to be, we don't want you to be abandoning your leadership. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't matter if you bring someone in underneath you to handle the five people and you just have the one person underneath you. You still need to know how to do all those things with the one person. It doesn't change. And what's interesting as we're talking about this, though, Jill, that comes up for me is this idea that some people are not qualified to be managers. And we see this in corporate a lot where the really high performers end up getting promoted. And what's the saying? You get promoted to the point of incompetency. So it's like you're a really good individual contributor. So you get promoted and you would have been way better off if you just stayed an individual contributor because you're not the type of personality or the type of person that's going to be a good manager, or a good leader. Or you've been completely thrown into the pool without any kind of support, but that's a whole other ball of wax. Well, but that, number one, is a big part of it. But I'm curious what you would say to someone who would come to you, say it's a client who comes to you and says, I understand that you want me to learn to manage, and I understand that eventually I'm going to have to learn to manage managers, 
but I know this isn't my zone of genius. It's like pulling teeth. Why can't I just hire someone else who knows how to manage and you can coach them and you can help them be the manager so I don't have to? Because that is something we do with our clients. If they've got managers on their team, we do provide that coaching and mentorship to them. So why would you tell them that they still have to gut it out, for lack of a better word? Because they still need to learn it for themselves. They still need to have those skills. And yes, it might not be your zone of genius. But remember, we were just talking at the beginning of this episode about the journey and the destination. And in a lot of cases, it's fascinating for me because we build up the things that we we feel we can't do well into these insurmountable yeah. obstacles. Yeah. And I can't tell you the number of times when I've dug in with someone that actually the skills that they need are already there. They use them all the time. Yeah. They just don't think about them that way. You know, I've, I remember we've had a couple of teachers, former teachers that have come to work with us and they've said the same thing. I don't want to manage, I don't whatever. And it's like, okay, but you like teaching people. Yeah. So teach your team. What if instead of yeah. managing, it was about teaching and empowering? Maybe I can do that. Mentoring, coaching, all those things. What I think ultimately is so interesting is we work with people who care deeply about their clients and about their clients' results. And as, as a side effect of that, or maybe as a cause of that, they've had to learn to lead their clients and to be a leader to their clients. And what that indicates to me is that those skills of leadership are there. The disconnect is often that the skills of leadership don't match with what we think management should look like. And so I think ultimately, if we were to go right back down to the root of this whole myth, of this whole story of, I don't want to do it, it's not the way my brain works, I want to hire someone else to do it for me, at the root of it all is a perception that managing has to look a certain way. And that if you don't fit into that mold, you can't do it. And I would say it's actually the opposite, which is if you don't fit into that mold, it's more important that you do it in a way that is true for you and that aligns with your values. Not just aligns with the values, but that supports the culture of the business and thereby supports your team. Yeah. Because it, it sets you up on that cycle that if you can do that, then your business is set up to support the team. And the team is set up to support the business. And you are set up to be supported by all of it. Yeah. I think that's as good a place as okay. any to leave this conversation, Jill. I know. I can't believe this is the end of season three, but I think that is a great place to leave it and to wrap it up. I do want to just put out there for folks who are listening who maybe have spent the last season or last few seasons listening to what we're talking about and hearing Jill and I talk about all these great ideas and you know you're thinking to yourself you know maybe I'm not ready for it yet or it doesn't apply to me yet or I love those ideas I'm going to have my team member go through and listen to it so they can implement it I just really want to encourage you to think about what we talked about in this episode and to look at the places where maybe you have your own skill development to do. Because that's why we work with visionaries in our program academy, right? We don't allow people to send their COO or their OBM or their ops person through the program <laughs> for them. You can do it together, but you can't have someone else do it for you because you need to learn these lessons and learn to step into the next level of leadership so that you can truly be 
the visionary CEO of your business. Yeah. And honestly, though, yeah. don't wait till things start breaking. Don't wait till you're overwhelmed. Don't wait till you're run off your feet yeah. or you're at capacity. Yeah. And just go ahead. The bumper at the end of the episode gives you the URL where you can go to find out more about how we work with folks. Give that a look. T- check it out. Feel free to message us on any of your favorite platforms. We can talk about it. We're here to make sure that you can be the visionary CEO of your business. So that's a wrap on season three. We'll be back after a break for season four. But as always, we are coming to you from the unceded and traditional territory of the Qualcomm First Nation. Special shout out to our podcast production team who put in extra effort this season. So thanks to the folks at Podcast Taxi. We really appreciate it. Everything you've done. And we are looking forward to talking more with you all in season four coming to you soon. See you there. Thanks for listening to the Visionary CEO Podcast, hosted and produced by Brian Dick and Jill Giovanazzo. For more information about anything you've heard on the show, visit us on the web at visionaryceoacademy.com slash podcast. You can keep the conversation going on social media too. Just use the hashtag Visionary CEO Podcast. This has been a Podcast Taxi radio production for the Visionary CEO Academy. Hey there, it's Jill. We just wanted to take a moment to let you know that everything we've been talking about in today's episode is part of what we do with our clients in the Visionary CEO Academy. Our programs and masterminds are some of the most advanced business leadership opportunities out there and are designed specifically to help strategists, coaches, and other online business owners like yourself scale your business to seven figures and beyond quickly, sustainably, and profitably. But most importantly, by keeping your values and your vision front and center. So whenever you're ready, just head on over to visionaryceoacademy.com slash podcast for more information and to get started. Can't wait to see you there.